Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. I was getting gas yesterday up at uh, Sam's Club, and there's a young man talking to his grandma who was pumping the gas about how horrible the price was and about the current situation and state of affairs. And like all old men, I started reminiscing to him and saying, oh, this is nothing new, son. And he said, circa 1974, and I was in Tucson, Arizona, and there, there was a gas crisis, an energy crisis, and you stood in line for 90 minutes to get gas, and gas was all of 73 cents a gallon, and we were outraged because it had come up from 23. And uh, I assured him that those things have a way of recycling themselves, and it seems like about every decade there's an energy crisis, and, and those big oil companies, they just keep making billions of dollars. They never do show a loss, always a profit, and so do the pharmaceutical companies and everything. Truth be told, in that circa and singing a Keith Green song, uh, I was a couple of weeks saved and still a mess, and uh, and I was getting ready to get married and uh, to come back to the Midwest and and uh, have Brenda legalize me by marrying me. She kind of robbed the cradle a little bit, and. Uh, and I think mostly I was just in shock. I remember going to a B. Dalton bookstore and buying the cheapest Bible I could find, which was one of those with all the old paintings in it. And that was the only thing I understood out of it. I was looking at those paintings and, you know, I had Daniel and the lion's den and those kind of very old classic paintings. And I tried to read it and it didn't make any sense. And I thought you started in the beginning and the beginning didn't help me. It just didn't make a lot of sense. But I picked up another book called There's a New World Coming by Hal Lindsey. And uh, it was a shock to my system that people even thought that way or had those kind of thoughts about what was going on and kind of tied in with the energy crisis. And, uh, I'd come back from two years of hell in, in Turkey, almost 20 months, and, uh, and then another year of trying to navigate my headspace through uh, being in Missouri and the people I was around and trying to get free from drugs and all of that. And so my life was just one huge turmoil. And you know what? The God of peace just reached in there. And uh, he tied me into a marriage and he just hogtied both of us together. And I can't say we were real happy, but we were together in great misery. And uh, we learned to like each other. And and then a couple years later, we really got excited about God and singing Keith Green songs. And and we've just never looked back. And uh, I don't know what backslidden means today. I'm not sure that's even a word in the, in, should be in any Christian's vocabulary. Because I've never known a day since then without God. And he was with me with the best of times and the worst of times and the highest prices and the lowest prices. And I got good deals along the way and I got shafted too. Like all of you, 
I paid too much for one vehicle and got a really good deal on another. And the beat goes on. And Jesus is in it all. And he's given us great solace in what to know and what to do in times of trouble. We are in times of trouble. You can't, you know, it's not, we can't pretend that it's not. It's troubling times that we're in and we're all going through. So that's what these lessons and this unpacking I've been trying to do to explain about the meaning of the gospel. And it's really, I will tell you now, I want to invite you, it is more important now to actually understand what the gospel is than at any other time in your life. Right now. To understand what the gospel means and what it is and what Paul said about it. What the new covenant actually is. So I have been accused of deconstructing a lot of people's Christianity. And I'll wear that badge with great courage. And a few have spit at it. But uh, I don't mind doing that because... uh, when we can really learn to engage our faith and get a faith response to the troubling times and what's going around us, we remain buoyant. We remain on the ocean of God's love. And we can navigate this and we can give hope for the coming generations. Is this the last generation? Well, every, every generation since the time of Jesus thought they were. So we must be. And yet there's hope that there's other stuff coming. So um, for us that are parents and grandparents, it's really important that we let our children know where our hope is and what the gospel is and how to live it before them. So we ended last week in looking at what, what Hebrews said about the new covenant. And then it comes to the question of this, about knowing the gospel. What, what is, what was Paul's gospel? Remember in Acts where we started, Paul talked about the the preaching of his gospel. He he identified with it in a special way because he had the most significant revelation. Now, should you compare apostles? Probably not. That's way beyond my scope. Uh, But I do know this, that Paul was given a revelation from Jesus to convey a message that would include all. That included, uh, and, and not just, uh, he do, did away with boundaries, which was the intent of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It was to take out the boundaries between, uh, between being Hebrew, being Jewish, being Greek, between men and women. He really did break all the dividing walls. He said, let's not evaluate each other any more than that. What Jesus did, and and we have to understand this as we're living today, he came to give us a bigger picture because he came to give us life. And that's phenomenal, that in, in Jesus was life. The gospel that Paul preached, classic three point message, that's where every preacher since then has gotten it Christ died for our sins was buried and rose again as the prophets foretold it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 now you're probably familiar with that message but then you have to ask the question of this of yourself and especially in troubling times what does it really mean what does that mean for me We're taught so often, as I was back then, even by the Lord, how to come into the kingdom in the gospel. 
but then machinations and changes in different views, we don't stay there. We try to do so much on our own and we're taught to do so much on our own. And um, it took me a lot of time in my life for me to de deprogram and for me to uh, deconstruct the patterns that I had been taught and understood, especially about even reading that Bible, that then I became, you know, and I, I worked as a research analyst for years, so I loved doing research, and man, I explored it. I used every app I could when computers came on, but before that, I'd get out my Strong's Concordance, big green book that you kept at the house, and I'd look up what the Greek or Hebrew meaning of that word was, and I was, I was good at it, too. I did it. I went after it. I was a good detective, because I wanted to know, but my approach was so distorted because I had been taught all the prescriptions that went with it and that everything within the New Testament was a prescription on what I had to do in order to be okay. I never read any of it as a description of what God had done and that I was a new creation. I was always, how do I, how he did that, so now how do I do it? There was always an emphasis on the response of my heart. And so I never saw in very few scriptures as an invitation. The gospel was an invitation, but then how to live was a declaration or a determination. And I determined to live a certain way because that's what people told me I ought to do. And I got audited and should a lot. You probably did too. And that's really not as much about the gospel <laughs> And matter of fact, it has very little to do with Paul's gospel. Because Paul gave the gospel not just to get people into the kingdom, but how to be in the kingdom. How to become uh, the kingdom of God alive on the earth. Really what he taught was as, as we behold the cross. Now, I, I'm, so I'm going to make an assumption here that young and old, everybody here knows that the cross was the means of God's salvation for our life. He died for my sin and your sin on the cross. As a matter of fact, he became your sin and died on the cross. And that he was dead, buried, but on the third day he rose from that and there was an empty tomb. We're getting ready to come into Easter time and celebrate that. And with that, this is where Paul comes in, the abundance, and it's, just, it's an overwhelming abundance, and the full implication of the abundance of God's grace became clear to Paul. It was, it was opened up to him in a, in a revelation from God. And it, it, he became deconstructed, he was a very learned man, deconstructed in everything he knew through Judaism about God, and got reconstructed by, through the Holy Spirit explaining things to him. Wouldn't that have been an adventure? But can you imagine how difficult it was because he was the first? Even beyond what the disciples had been through in walking with Jesus, camping out with him for three and a half years, here's this learned man, and it took him 13 years, goes, what? He gets knocked off his horse, his, 
his will gets violated. Will God ever violate your free will? Mm, you ought to look real close at that. And invites him into something, and he begins to learn. He hangs out with other peoples who had received God's salvation, but then God starts to unpack it to him. It must have been, I mean, who do you turn to and go, is this right? Well, he turned to God and go, this is what you're saying? Holy Spirit's going, oh, yes, and more. You know, and we find out later as he writes, he was taken to heaven, you know, and unlike modern people that <clears throat> supposedly get taken to heaven, Paul said, I, I saw stuff there I can't tell you about. And he was very, actually, he was very restrictive about what he said, but he, he was blown away. And then no, no computer images or no files to explore with that. Just total download from Jesus. You just got to go. You'd look back at that. You just go, whoa. You know, back in our 70s, they used heavy, heavy. Was, uh, you know, oh, my gosh. Here's what Paul, and when he taught about the new covenant, and he, he indicated there's a better way. It's a better covenant based on better promises. And he wasn't just speaking that to Jewish people. He was speaking it to non-Jews who he said, listen, God's invited you into this and not into the old way, but into a new and living way. And so it was just this, this freshness that, that came into his life and was to be explored. Right now, in our current troubles, you can wrap yourself, and this is a faith response, with the better promises and the better covenant of living the gospel and sharing it in your life and with others. And you share it with you by recounting it. Because of the gospel of grace, I can say or recount to myself all that God has done. So much of Paul, what he wrote and what he taught was what God had done, is doing, and will do in my life. Because I promise you, if he did it, he'll do it. And if he's doing it, he will do it again and again and again. In my life, with my life, to my life, for my life, about my life, with you in my life. Now, a lot of times I'd like to keep everybody out of there, but they don't. Because that's not him. Life begets life, doesn't it? And so we were meant to be together and learn this. And so... Uh, this week, as I was re-praying through this, before he would let me go further on in the notes that I already had, he interrupted me with a scripture, which was wonderful. Because uh, I even woke up with a... There's so much news out there today, and I even woke up with a weird Beatles song going through my head, an old one, you know. I heard the news today, oh boy. And it's a mess. It's a horrible mess about how horrible people's lives are and they try and hide it and I just went that's the new you know heard the news today and then I said what, are, what we really need to think about is what has God done what is God doing and what is he going to do in your life in my life 
And then the Lord just highlighted this passage of Scripture. So I'm going to read two versions of it so we can get our, um, my, my oldest son always calls this your nugget. So, he says, so you can get your nugget wrapped around it, you know, your head, your head space, and think through these things. So uh, let's read the New King James one first. This is Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Very seldom is 9 added with this, but I... He emphasized that to me, and I want to share it with you. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Here's this massive invitation from this same Paul that got the download about the gospel. And he's, and he's inviting people. He's not demanding. He's not saying you have to do this or it's over, you know. I've talked to the father and the father said he can get me out of this but the rest of you are in really deep trouble. It's not that at all. He's sending out an invitation at the end of this letter. He says, oh, th listen, there's lots of things you can think about. They had lots of trouble. They had lots of news all around them. He says, I want to invite you into something of what to put your thoughts on. So I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, translated this. Let's, let's hear it in his language. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. I love the way you trust Jesus. He's, he's working a plan. God, God didn't take a break and suddenly pull down the blinds on earth. I can't stand to watch that again. Putin said to the bad man. <laughs> Not looking out my bedroom window. And I'm pretty sure uh, he's not checking CNN or Fox News to know what's going on. Probably all of that is fake news to him. Because he has one piece of good news and it's his son. Jesus and Paul's inviting us into who Jesus is to what to think about so if that was pretty good for that church back then I I don't know like force yeah, I may not be a smart man I know what love is and what love looks like it looks just like Jesus I know what true love is love true love True love is Jesus in all of his wonderfulness towards you. And he wants you to meditate on it and think about it. Look at these uh, 
if, if you take the things from, from the New King James, look at what this means. Everything that's true. Is it accurate? That's the word. True there is the word accurate. Will it give an accurate impression or count? So the stuff that we take in as news, does it give an accurate account? I don't know. Then why do I meditate on those things? See, it's an invitation to come away from meditating on wrong things and meditating on things that are accurate. Jesus is the accurate representation of who God is. That's Hebrews. He is the exact representation of God. When you see me, Jesus said, you see the Father. He looks just like me. So then what about what noble? Well, it doesn't mean that I'm royalty, though it does. But it's not speaking of that. It means more in the old sense of the word. Civil, full of goodwill. Are we civil towards each other? Instead of demanding that we do certain things to break the injustices of the earth that we all seem to do to each other, whether that's race, gender, whatever, what if we were just civil to each other and treated each other like nobility? And an old man at a gas station tells a young man, hey, I saw this before. That kid actually thanked me at the end of the conversation with sharing with him. And we had a little community time right there. And he was going, Grandma, do you remember that? <laughs> and we just had a time together, and he actually thanked me. I went away going, wow, that, I think that might have been a God moment. I never said Jesus to him. But I gave him that which was true and noble. Is it just? Well, just is, you can ask yourself, is it appropriate to say at the time and a righteous reflection of godly standing? Because to be just before God means you have right standing with him. That's funny. Hebrews says that God justifies the ungodly with the gospel, with what he did. And when I start thinking in that, I start changing my language to be just, to be fair. And when it's true and noble, then it's accurate and it's uh, so filled with good conscience and like goodwill towards somebody else. Sometimes it's hard to give goodwill to people. There's, there's some people I haven't liked on the earth. Sometimes if I was God, I would have zapped them pretty good. I'm not God, but I can reflect what is just because now I've been made a just man and that should be a reflection of me. Is it pure? Well, you know, there used to be this old commercial again, this is my age coming out, but there, it was for soap. I don't even remember which kind of soap, but it was 99 to 44, 100% pure. Ivory soap, there we go. That always interested me. How did they get that 44 in there? Well, it's probably fake news. But I know this. To be pure means I'm, I'm, I'm not motivated by pride and jealousy. I want the very best for you, just like I want it for me. Now, not more beyond, way beyond the golden rule. 
you know, children behave. It's beyond that. To be pure in heart means to not have guile. To be guileless. And that's very possible. Remember the story of Andrew and Nathaniel. And Jesus, uh, Andrew brings Nathaniel to him. And he says this. He said, behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. No guile at all. Of course, he's trying to say, how did you know me? And then uh, he says, oh, before time began, I knew you. And he's actually, there's Jesus quoting Ephesians before he ever gave it to Paul. You know, you want to hear Gandalf in his loudest voice, before the foundations of the earth, you know. God says, I knew you and I formed you and I presented to you myself holy and blameless. How does he do that? He's God. And it's the gospel. It's the new covenant. It's the good news based on better promises. Us so rich, I can be, you know, I want to live pure today. Burn me with your refiner's fire. He said, no, I burned my son. I burned my son with refiner's fire. Here, it's a gift to you. Receive it. That's stunning, isn't it? We, we want something to, we want to bear something. No, he bore something. We receive something. That's the gospel. Over and over again. Whatsoever things are lovely, do they reflect the beauty of God's handiwork and will? Can you get up tomorrow morning and look in the mirror and go, lovely. He was just love. Bill the cat. Bad breath and all. Lovely. Does it brighten, refresh, bring life to you? Do you see God's handiwork in his creation? He says, meditate on these things. I got stuck on a Chinese elm one time in Arizona. And the leaf of it. And looking at it, it's different than other elm trees because it's almost like a saw blade. It's real real jagged. And uh, I asked the Holy Spirit. I was having a really wonderful encounter with him. He said, so why did you make the leaf that way? He says, because I wanted to. Sounds pretty good. You know? Is my dad in heaven? It's not for you to know now. Oh, faith. Whatever things are of good repute, does it add to somebody's reputation or your own? Dwell, meditate on these things. Or do you figure out how bad they are and why they got that way and why people shouldn't have anything to do with them? That's really hard when it gets to Putin, doesn't it? God, he seems like such an evil man. I sort of agree with Senator Graham and want him to get knocked off, but then I'm not God, and God, same God that loves me loves that man, gave his life for him. I think we need to pray for revelation of Jesus to come to that man. All evil men. Are there evil men and women on the earth? You bet. Most of them are in politics. So, or in government, which is trying to control you. A few of them are in the media. Oh, there I go. I'm going to get in trouble. Keep back. Whatever thing is excellent has virtue. To be virtuous is, 
is this. Virtuous living was designed to motivate other people to see God. The word actually comes out of and explores the Middle Ages and what happens in the uh, Renaissance or, and what happened with the whole idea of knighthood and the knights and, the, and the, the nobility that went with that. And to have that meant I'm living in such a way that other people are <laughs> invited and desirous to live the same way. A reflection of good virtue. And then is it praiseworthy? Praiseworthy means does it build up? When we, when we are praising God, we're actually exalting him, building him up for all who hear it. Is it worthy of praising? The real key, though, those are all wonderful, but they're the invitation, and Paul explains the invitation. It's just it's just phenomenal. Look closely at this verse 9. I'm going to say it again. Because this is what, he doesn't end there. I was always to have that as a standalone verse as I was taught that. Over and over and over again. So I always went, yeah, I'm not very pretty. I'm not very virtuous. I could identify the 12 8 by 10 color glossy photographs that proved to everybody that I was struggling in my relationship with God. And I just couldn't measure up to that stack of, of eight things that Paul had laid out there. Well, I didn't read verse 9. It happens with us so often. Whenever religion demands something of you, read the next verse and a couple more verses. Because people like to put this and take this out of context to put it on you so that you will do it so that they will feel better about themselves having told you how you need to get fixed and what you need to do. And inside, they're insecure, don't really have any more handle on the truth than you do, and they're just trying to look like something and play dress up, and they're not. They're no different than you or me. Look at verse 9. The things which you... This is such a bold statement. I'm sorry. This is, this is what got me all week. I was going, Paul, you're audacious. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. If you're doing that, guess what? God of peace is going to be with you. What do you read right now in times of turmoil? peace. Paul wrote this in a time when there was no New Testament. And people didn't carry around a scroll of the law. It was heavy and two guys carried it. I can think through that one. There, were, there was no Bible to carry around. So Paul says, hey, when I'm telling you to think on these things, he said, remember, what did you learn from me? What did you receive from me? What did Paul bring them? The gospel of grace, says Acts 28. What did you see and hear from him? The gospel, over and over and over again. 
It, it just happens to, you, you have to, so there's, I put rhetorical questions on there. To ask us today, if we're going to approach it the same way as to, Paul was here about a year and a half ago and now he sent this letter. And this is what he said. Well, let me ask you the question. What have you learned from Paul? What do you know and are familiar with regarding Paul's teachings? He thought it was really important here. What did you receive, that's an ongoing practice, from Paul? What can you see in how Paul conducted his approach when you read the book of Acts and hear what he is telling people, us? For me, so I, have, I, I asked myself the questions, and I went, oh, and, and it was, listen, this isn't intimidating. It was wonderful. So I'm, I'm doing my, so I try and walk at least four days a week. I do these rounds about my driveway, you know, and everybody that's driving by goes, what's wrong with that old guy? Well, I'm walking and praying. So I'm walking and praying. I said, oh. Lord, this is what I received from Paul. And I started telling him back the five great themes of, of life that I've learned in the past 10 years from studying Paul. The first one is this. God's unconditional love. Unconditional. And everything about him, I didn't, I didn't even put, notice I didn't put love. The, the uncondition of God. Everything that he has for me, every better promise about my life is from him. There are no conditions in God. I am free to have an open relationship with him at all times in every second, all the time. Everything about God to me and my heart speaks of his unconditional love. But it's more that we use that word love, but it's so much more than that. It's God. It's his, who he is and God is love. Justification by faith alone. It's became the primary, one of the primary themes in my life because I was always, that's why I have to deconstruct things. I was always taught the things that uh, were included on that, what the requirements were, what the righteous requirements were. Instead of being, uh, by the way, these are all found in Romans, Romans 5.1. Now, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Nothing, period. <laughs> it's like this, uh, it's like getting a big, big tablespoon bite of cut oats with brown sugar and raisins. I said, um, and you just chew on it. It's just such a mouthful. I don't have, I'm not justified by anything else. I'm justified by what I believe about what Jesus did. And Paul said, did you receive that from me? Oh, yeah, Paul. I got it. And I'm getting it. And I'm going to get it. And the third theme, my co-union with Christ. Christ lives in me. He dwells in me. He's up there and he's here. 
I talk to him sort of up there, but I also talk to him here, especially when I'm walking through the yard and around my driveway. I don't ever have to say, how you doing, Lord? I don't ever have to say, how you doing, Lloyd? He knows how I'm doing. Now, I have asked him these questions in my prayers. What are you thinking about right now? He very seldom answers Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> so that probably wouldn't be bad. Listen, the third, in that third one, I'm united with God now. I'm an eternal being now. There's so much with that that I have received. And the fourth one is this. This is what I received from Paul. Eternal security. Nothing can steal it, nothing can rob it, nothing can take it away, nobody can turn it, nobody can make it something it's not. It's mine now forever, says the Lord in Romans 8. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not one thing. Nothing can add to it. And then the last one. I have blessed abundance of life. I have it and you have it. It's the way we are, the way we live. If he's in me and around me, I don't have to prove God's will. I am God's will. God is proving who he is to the earth in me and you. I, was, I chased God for over 25 years trying to find out what his will was because I was told that's what I needed to do. What's your will for my life? And he's... I never did get a different answer other than me. I, I'm the will for your life. Me. God is there. Do you have a destiny? Yes, you always did. Read Ephesians 1. You always had a destiny. What is it? To live with Him and receive the gospel and the things that Paul taught. Ask yourself those questions this week. Seriously, take the... Take those rhetorical questions say, what do I know about what Paul taught? That which you learned from me, what have you learned? Take a prayer walk and start identifying. You'll take your views off the bad news reports and you'll start putting them back on the gospel. They're designed to do that. Every one of those questions are designed to to give you the feedback necessary to receive again daily, hour by hour, minute by minute, everything that God is doing in your life. And you can, as Peter would have put it, live godly in this present age. Wow. So, here's my charge. Take Philippians 4, 8, and 9 and go through it this week. Do your little type of prayer walk. Re-engage with God. As you do that, first thing you got to tell yourself, he's not upset with me. He's not distracted with anything in my life. He's not disappointed, disillusioned, or disregarding me. He wants to enjoy you. He can say anything you want. What do you want to say? He can say anything he wants. What's he want to say? I know one word that he'll speak to you. Jesus.
Jesus over and over again. All right, give us a song. Huh. You want me to sing? Stand with me then. So do this in hearing the instruments. As you do that this week, make a melody in your heart. Sing a new song. Take Philippians 4.8 and make a song out of it over your life. Just engage one word of it and make up a song. He loves me. Oh, how he loves me. You can, just, you can sing it over and over and over again. What's really fun is that's private between you and the Lord. It doesn't have to be shared with anybody else. The worship of the Lord is with those who seek Him. It's incredible. So God, help us with this this week. Put your new song in the forefront of our walk with you. Let our hearts be lifted up in Philippians 4.8. That I am my beloved's and he is mine. I'm completely accepted in you right now. You are kind and gracious. And you love me. You love me, 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 you love me. And that my soul knows well. And I receive it again from you, Jesus. We receive it. This our soul knows well. That in troubling times, our faith response is you. In our lives. All the time. And we receive it again in Jesus' name. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Lord, lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.